Hey, I'm Spencer Powell and welcome to Remodeler Stories, where we highlight remodelers. Every remodeler has a unique story and journey and we can all learn from each other. Stay tuned for a mix of inspiration, tactical tips, unique strategies, and some laughter. The remodeling business is tough, but rewarding, and we're all in this together. Let's kick this thing off. Before we get into today's show, let's talk about our show sponsor, Remodeler Growth Community. Remodeler Growth Community is a peer-to-peer networking group exclusively for remodelers. For a low monthly fee, you get access to some of the best minds in the industry, life-changing business strategies, and the ability to connect and learn from people who've walked the path you walk. Go to remodelercommunity.com to enroll today. 100% satisfaction guaranteed or your money back, so there's absolutely no risk to you. Go to remodelercommunity.com to enroll today. Today, I sit down with Joshua Dean of Precision Home Crafters. Joshua took over the reins as president of Precision in January of 2020, and he entered the home building industry in 2004 through furniture making and later through working in a custom cabinet shop. Joshua helped found Appleseed Workshop, where he worked until he joined the PHC team in 2013. He will serve as the president of the Greater Birmingham Association of Home Builders in 2022. When he's not working, you can find him deep in the woods, backcountry hunting, visiting his stepdaughter at the University of South Alabama, or hanging out with his wife, Jennifer, and their four boys. Joshua and his family live north of downtown Birmingham on a two and a half acre homestead. Now for my conversation with Joshua Dean. Hey, Joshua, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm excited to to dive into things, but tell everyone, who are you? What's the company? And then where are you located? Yeah, so my name is Joshua Dean. I'm 38 years old, and I own and operate Precision Home Crafters, which is based out of Birmingham, Alabama. The company's been in existence for 25 years. Yep, 25 years is our 25th year. And Uh I took over at the end of 2019. Oh, Uh, cool. It was started by my mentor, George Williams. He he was a mentor of mine long before I came to work for him. And then I came to work for him around the end of 2013. And pretty early on, I talked about, he was twice my age. I talked about my youth and his age and an exit plan for him and how I was interested in taking over. And we worked out something relatively early. And then we hammered out the details, like I said, six years later. And he retired and I took over. Right on. Yeah, that's cool. Do you know much about the original like origin story on how he started the company or when that was? He started in 97. He had done like 30, 35 years in corporate banking. And the way he to- tells the story is that he had kind of, he had coexisted with the corporate world as long as he could. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Those two worlds no longer meshed. And so he was, I guess, 50... Around fit, between 50 and 55 at the time. And he was like, if I'm going to make a change, I need to do it now. He always had a passion for building. He loved, you know, he, he's very skilled. He always had a passion for that, always did projects around the house. And he made the leap. And when he did that, he said relatively early on in that process, he realized that in order for him to maintain his kind of lifestyle, he wasn't going to. He needed to find out another way to run the business other than him wear a tool belt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He, he kind of, he, he went through some iterations of how to run a remodeling business, but he'd kind of settled into the project manager, mostly subs and trades people that you contract with to accomplish the work. Gotcha. Yeah. And you said he was a, 
a mentor before you guys, like you entered the business, how did you guys get connected? So I moved to Birmingham, must've been towards the, maybe August, September of 2007, I moved to Birmingham and I joined up with a couple of guys who had been friends of mine from church when I lived in Auburn, Alabama. Mm. They were fifth year architecture students. I was like starting at Auburn. We went to church together. We built some high-end furniture together. I helped them do some kitchen cabinets. They graduated. I eloped. They moved to Birmingham with the business and I stayed in town and worked at a cabinet shop. And then about 15 months later, so it would have been yeah, towards the end of 2007, I moved to Birmingham to join back with them, up with them and, and to work with them. I kind of learned, you know, I started the cabinet shop making $8 an hour <laughs> and I moved up to $12 an hour, but I had learned a lot during that time. I mean, the, the cabinet shop was Van Nostrum Cabinets and Roger is the owner. And that was a father and son team. Roger had taken over from, from his dad. Ran a very good cabinet shop. He was cranking out like a, a nice custom cabinet kitchen, like just about every week. He had 12, 15 employees and ran a good business. So I got to see like what production looks like on a, on a high-end residential custom cabinet scale. But like if I was going to stay there, I didn't have many prospects for a career. So I got itching. I had more of a my wife describes it as. She saw that look in my eyes where if I stayed there for 20 years, I was going to die. My soul was going to die. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So she knew I wanted to, I was willing to risk and, and try something new. So yeah, I, I moved, joined back up with those guys. We did high-end cabinetry and remodeling work. And that was 2007. So I came into Birmingham, took over the millwork part of the company, given my experience. And I literally cold called people from the Home Builders Association directory. Like old school, like going through, calling people. They don't know you. You're not even from town. I like it. There were two builders from the membership directory who were like, yeah, come come to the office and talk to me. One was a man named David Sherrod. He owns a really respectable remodeling company here in Birmingham called Bradford Residential Building Company. And I got a couple large cabinet jobs from him. And that really was essential. But then George was like, yeah, come to my office. And we met and I could tell right away he wasn't from Birmingham. He has a heavy accent and he grew up on the Chesapeake Bay in, in Virginia. And so both of us having moved to Birmingham from out of state, we had kind of had a connection because I, I, I chased a girl to Auburn. That's how I ended up in the South. I, I went to high school in Maine. Okay, gotcha. George was like, yeah, come talk to me. And we hit it off. He gave me a set of drawings to bid. We didn't get that job, but the next job he got, he let me do the cabinets. And as me and my business partners, as our company grew, we ended up becoming competitors with George. So he stopped using me for cabinets, but he <laughs> stayed a mentor of mine. Interesting. Anytime I had a question, he'd be completely transparent with me. Like our friendship grew. We really cared about each other, both personally, and he was always available to me professionally. I didn't know it at the time, but when I called him, when I cold called him that one day, he happened to be president of our local homebuilders association. And so that was important to him. He asked me, well, one of the first questions he asked me is, are you a member of the Homebuilder Association? And we were, that's why, that's why I had the, the membership book. But so yeah, things have kind of come full circle because I'm president of the Birmingham Association of Homebuilders this year. Oh, right on. So yeah, <laughs> just took cool. 15, 15 years later. What was like the pivot point from like getting to know him and then saying like, actually, you know, let me join the team. Right. So the company that me and my, my buddies from Auburn, that company grew significantly. When we went from like, 
$280,000 gross revenue the first year I was there, which really just, it was essentially one of, one of them was getting his architecture license and the other one and I did all the work. <laughs> and so we did $280,000 that year. And when I left at the end of 2013, we had 15 employees. We we're doing four and a half million of residential and commercial design build. And that, we left because it was, it was a partnership that was kind of had some inherent flaws from the beginning. We had some different, like, I think macro life goals. Mm, sure. And they, we didn't negotiate those well. And so I left in 2013. And when George found out, he was like, man, like I'll entertain any scenario where we work together because we had such high regard for each other. And I think he too, I think he knew he needed to have an exit plan. He didn't have one in place and I would, I would be a good one. So yeah, I came, came to work for him and I kind of just came in and kind of helped kind of hourly at the end of 2013. But at the beginning of 2014, I'd got my builder's license and I was either going to start my own company or commit to George to take over. I decided to do that instead. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. What were those early conversations like? Was were you, you were pretty clear on, hey, I want to come in and we need to have a plan or this is just kind of open-ended. Let's see how it goes. You know, he he's told me since that his other employees were like, why are you hiring him? <laughs> he was like, I don't know, but I love the guy. I trust him. And so we'll figure it out. And that was kind of the, the approach. George is a very good mentor. He's a very good delegator. He's the opposite of a micromanager. So he kind of let me, I did a lot of shadowing him. And then once I kind of began to have an approach to how I could help the business, he really just let me do whatever I wanted to do. He didn't look over my shoulder. We would regularly talk and compare notes and critique each other. He was always open. He always solicited feedback from me. We'd go on sales calls together. He would say, how did I do? As soon as we get back in the truck, he'd say, how did I do? What could I do differently? And then there would be times where he would say, can I share with you some feedback? One of the things he loves about me is that I was open to hear what he had to say. And I, I received his suggestions and feedback. So I remember like probably was fall 2014. I went and did a sales call. I designed the job. I signed the contract and we started construction and George had never even met the clients. And that was like a big milestone. And so we really began to kind of sell alongside of each other. That we kind of just figured it out. Like initially George wanted a, a pretty substantial sum of money. And then as he got older, as he saw my potential, I think he just became started to think of me more like a son. And he just wanted to see me succeed. And so when I took over, it was a very good deal for both of us. He was able to, to, to walk away and not worry about anything. I was able to take over and not be out of pocket a ton of money. And so we basically have this arrangement where as long as the company's doing well, there's he, he gets basically like a, a stipend. Now, mm. that will continue till he dies as long as the company's around. Sweet deal. Yeah. No, that's it's always interesting to me to see how those transitions happen because there's a million different ways to make them work or not work. And so it's always, always super cool when you see a successful transition because Mm -hmm. it's actually rarer than, than not. So, yeah. And I think a lot of it does come down to both parties involved and just their willingness to want to make the deal work and work for both parties. So yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I think, I think one thing that's, there's certainly people who, who've done it really well. Like I remember hearing Tim Fowler talk in 2013 and hearing him, not Tim Paul, no, Sean McCadden. 
talked about selling his remodeling business and he wasn't allowed to disclose how much he sold it for, but I could tell the way he talked, it was seven figures probably. But that's a hard thing to do. It's, it's hard to sell a remodeling business. It is, um, yeah. It's hard to value one and it's hard to sell it. And I think George realized that. And also, like I said, I think the same way remodeling, when you do high-end design build, the most valuable commodity in that interaction with you and your clients is trust. I really think that's the, the same is true with any sort of remodeling business ownership transition. You really got to trust the people you're dealing with and trust that the future is going to be successful for everybody involved. You still have, you still need to have agreements and contracts and put yeah, stuff in writing. For sure. But at the end of the day, I mean, George and I had a one page agreement that we both signed, but really like he thinks of me like a son. I think of him like a father and that's why it worked. That's why it worked as well as it did. Yeah, that's cool. Well, I'm curious, maybe in that like first couple of years that you joined the team and you guys were, sounds like probably starting to have these conversations figuring out, like what were some early maybe mistakes or an early mistake that you made that you wish you could erase or or undo, or maybe just a big challenge that you guys were hitting in terms of that, like the growth of the company at that point? One of the things that had fascinated me when I came to work for George because of how much of a contrast it was to the company that I'd run with my two business partners is production was not a problem for George. He mm-hmm. had systems down, things operated really smoothly. The issue for precision home crafters was the bottleneck was the sales funnel estimates. The way he did estimates, I still to this day, I swear by it. I love it. He does, we do a design build agreement. So we have all the drawings, all the specifications, all the square footages, quotes for everything that's going to go in the job. And then we do an like, incredibly detailed proposal where we verbalize everything that is included in the job. So in my, my, pro- my project manager treats that like the Bible. Like, yeah. are, we, are we doing shelving in the closets? Well, what does the proposal say? We've had that conversation 10,000 times now where he doesn't ask me, is it included without checking and double checking the proposal first. The goal of writing a proposal is to eliminate all the ambiguity associated with doing a remodeling job. And then there's the one price. It's like one number. We don't we don't do kind of the open book stuff. It's just like, this is your kitchen. This is everything involved. And it's going to be $107,932.66. I like that, but that's a time-consuming process. Yeah, sounds like <laughs> And so that has always and continues to this day to be our bottleneck is the fact that we don't have salespeople that that fell on George's shoulders then it fell on our shoulders and now it falls on my shoulders. So that would be my response to your question. Like what was the, what kind of issues do we run into? Mm-hmm. It's still the issue today. I'm working on it right now to elevate that bottleneck. As far as my journey goes, George did one performance re- review with me, like official sit down performance review. And the entire time I worked for him. And one of the pieces of feedback was, I really want you to get involved and start serving in the industry associations. So I got involved with the Remodelers Council, and then eventually I got on the ladder and I served as chair in 2020. And around that time, I also got on the ladder to become president of our association. So I'm serving as president this year. Next year, I'm slated to be this Alabama State Remodelers Chair. Right on. Serve at the NHB uh, on the Remodelers Council as a trustee and then the Young Professionals Committee. So that was just some feedback he'd given me. And I, I would, I would just... I want to take a second to encourage folks. I get so much more out of those things than I put in. So industry associations are huge, whether it be 
HBA, NHB, or NARI, or whatever, Program Model, whatever it is, those things pay massive dividends if you get plugged in. Hey guys, I know that if you listen to Builder Funnel Radio, you are hyper aware of the fact that the way people shop and buy, it's changed dramatically over the years. And for the last 10 years, really since I started doing all this, helping my uncle's remodeling division scale up from about 2 million to 10 million, We've been helping remodelers and builders and contractors all over the country really refine their marketing systems. And I recently decided to kind of bottle all of that up into my first book. And that book is called The Remodeler Marketing Blueprint. And you can pick up a copy by going to the website, remodelermarketingblueprint.com. You can also search for it on Amazon or wherever books are sold online. But I highly recommend you go over to the website because we've got some cool book bonuses that go along with that if you pick up a few extra copies for your friends and colleagues or your teammates. So it would mean a lot to me if you've been listening to this podcast for a while or even just a few episodes, if you've ever gotten any value out of it, head over to remodelermarketingblueprint.com and snag your copy today. All right, let's get back to the show. What do you think has been, I guess, maybe has anything surprised you or since you took over all the way? You know, I think you said that was 2019. Yeah, I took over at the end of 2019. <laughs> and I looked at a commercial job, huge commercial renovation job. And I was considering like, you know, that's what I used to do at the previous company. I could add that as a division to Precision Home Crafters and really kind of up our game. And I had a bunch of prospects going into the end of 2019, beginning of 2020. And somewhere around January, February, I had offered a job to another project manager. And I was like, man, this is easily going to be the best year Precision Home Preppers has ever had in our history. And then March happened. <laughs> and I was like, oh, this, Big is, curveball. this yeah. is not what I was expecting. So we survived. 2020, two significant things happened in 2020. You know, we got that PPP loan, which enabled me to survive the year. And then in June of 2020, I joined Remodelers Advantage. I had heard Victoria Downing talk in Chicago at the Remodeler Show, I think October 2013, maybe it was 2014. I don't know. But I was really impressed. And I was like, oh, I want to join that organization. But RA has this kind of thing where, unless you're the business owner, they're probably not going to let you join. And so once I actually took over, I joined. And also, George was like a really good mentor, but he was present and he moved back to Virginia. Mm. So he's not even in Alabama anymore. And I knew I needed some oversight and some help. I think that the thing that gets you in trouble the most in any area of your life are the things that you don't know you don't know. And so I, I wanted that constant input of best practices and how to elevate your business. I wanted that in my right ear all the time. So I joined RA. I have a receipt right here. So yeah, early 2021, my uncle invested some money in the company. My uncle is the wealthiest man I know. He's also the most benevolent man I know. So he basically was like, here's a check. I don't really expect a return on this for years. And he really wanted a small amount of equity. He really just, he really just did it to support me. So hmm, that's cool. We survived 2020 and 2021 things. We're still off to a rough start because, as I'm sure you've talked about on this podcast before, when you make a mistake as a remodeling business owner, you pay for it for the next 10 months. (laughs) (laughs) 
So my inability and failure to adapt in early 2020 meant my sales were really, really dismally low. So my production in the first six months of 2021 equaled my production in the subsequent seven weeks. Hmm. I just I did almost nothing in the beginning of 2021 because I just had not sold well in 2020. So we're finally starting to write that ship. This year has been a good year. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Yeah, it's amazing the chain reaction and kind of the lag effect of, of yeah. Something. So yeah, I was talking to a guy from my RA group last week, and he was saying like that's one of the frustrating things because him and his business partner they were in bad spot when they joined RA, like real bad. And he was like, I feel like we've been making all these changes, but we're still like paying for our sins from three years ago. <laughs> like It's really discouraging when you're doing this and you're doing this and you're changing this and you're charging for this and you never charge for it. But then you run your whip and you're like, oh crap, we're still not making money. There's so many, yeah, there's so many moving parts and yeah, just it's, it's a tough business for sure. Well, I'm curious, any like wacky client stories or crazy projects. There's always something in construction, it feels like. Anything coming to mind over the last eight, 10 years or so that you can share with us? So last year, 50% of the work I did was for past clients. The way we operate is we like we really do a good job of establishing rapport and treating our clients really well and, and you know earning their trust and then maintaining their trust. Like I'll give you an example real quick. We did a bathroom renovation last year. We finished up around Thanksgiving. She called me on a Saturday about a month ago and said her living room ceiling was leaking. And it was like, oh, crap. I had to guess what it was. I talked to my project manager. We agreed it probably was this bathtub drain because it was a weird connection. We knew it was a weird connection. We went out there. I told her what to do on that Saturday. She tested it. And I was like, okay, well, it's not a supply thing. It is the drain. We went out there Monday, we cut the hole in the ceiling, we examined it, the plumber got there Tuesday, we fixed it, we gave it a week and a half to make sure it was good before we patched the ceiling and then painted it. She left us a Google review after that situation, and she likes us more after having a leak in the living room ceiling because we were so responsive to it. And so when you take really good care of your clients, I think that makes a big difference. And it it manifested and in, in half of the work we did last year was for past clients. But the three worst client experiences we had were the three jobs that we started in January, 2020. Like those were the most difficult client relationships. And two of those three are great now that we finished the job and, 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 and left. But one of them, they will never call me again. And I won't answer if they call me. <laughs> that was a hard year. And everybody processed it differently. And I think this particular client, I think she internalized all of the angst and turmoil and difficulty of the pandemic, internalized it, and then took it out on my project manager. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, That was a rough experience. And I don't in any way, shape or form fault him or even us. I just think it was a difficult time and a difficult client. And yeah, there's probably some small things we could have done differently to garner trust better. But I also know that that was an outlier because 90% of our clients want to adopt us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It happens, you know, sometimes it's like the law of, of numbers, right? Like over time, oh, yes. it's going to be things that happen or you're like, you can't make this up. And that's just, you got to push through it. <laughs> but, but, but as we've gone 
as we've continued over the past two and a half years, we've become way more selective with who we work who we work with. We we try to pre-qualify really, really hard on the front end. I put a pricing page on my website. In the initial phone call, we we reference that, make sure people have looked at it. We make them fill out a Google form. We charge five hundred dollars just to go meet clients for the first meeting, and then after that first meeting, I give them the canvas or the hover report, whichever one applies to their job. I give them a brief description of the work and an estimated budget and a design contract. And I don't do anything unless they design that design contract. Yeah. Um, Cause that lets me know they're, they're serious. They're, they're, they're ready to, to play ball because I've spent way, way too much time in my career talking to people who had no intention of doing a job with us. <laughs> yeah. I've designed a lot of stuff for free too. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's good. That's good. Well, I'm curious, what does the future look like for your business now that you've a few years into the saddle, you know, got through, you know, 2020, 2021, what's three, five years out look like? So I sat my project manager down last week and I sat my designer down yesterday and (laughs) I explained to them, you know, I told you two or three years ago, my vision for this company. And as far as what I want for me and for the employees, that hasn't changed at all. But what it looks like for the company has significantly changed. Because I I told them when I first took over, I don't want to grow. I just want to be profitable. I want it to be like this core team and let's keep it at that. But some things have happened over the past 14 months, but really specifically the past two months that has led me to kind of view the opportunities before me as almost like God-given. And it would be, I don't know the right word, disrespectful to God for me not to walk through the doors that he's opening for me. And so Ken Combs is a remodeler in North Carolina, and he has a fascinating business model. He was featured in Pro Remodeler Magazine, the February, March issue of this year. I think that's right. But you can search Pro Remodeler Ken Combs, you'll find the article. But his goal is to be the largest remodeler in North Carolina. And he's doing, I think, 10 to $12 million a year and working five to seven hours a week. Hmm. The way he's done that, the way he's scaled is in part, and I don't want to speak for him, but I got to hear him speak just a couple of weeks ago at the Pinnacle Experience. And he said that... uh, one of, the, one of his tactics is to find small remodelers like doing less than a million who there's some aspects of running a business they don't enjoy, be it the accounting or the payroll or the sales or whatever. And he basically approaches them and says, hey, why don't you come work for me? I'll take care of the business stuff. You just sell the job and oversee it. I'll provide a project manager and all the infrastructure that you need. And then I'll pay you 10% of the job. And He's done a good job finding those people, acquiring them. He said they make really good money. He said a lot of the people work make $150,000, $200,000 a year. And then it makes it so that his involvement is almost non-existent. He doesn't even know most of his clients. <laughs> yeah, interesting. <laughs> so, but yeah, 10 to $12 million a year. But his his vision is to take really, really good care of his clients. And for, what's the name? C. QC or something, the name of his company, he wants that company to be the the preferred workplace for people in the industry. So I actually emailed him yesterday asking if he'd be interested in coaching me and me documenting that process to see how we can um, encourage other people to go down a similar road if they're interested. But 
I have a, a peer competitor of mine who's not in the business anymore. And him and I are talking Wednesday about him coming to work for me. And then uh, there's another similar business to mine in the area that uh, does design build. And I'm currently in talks with that company for me to take over their company and for the owner to have an exit strategy. And so I, my new vision for Precision Homecrafters, some of the best things I've done as a since taking over have been copying what other people are doing. <laughs> sure. Yeah. So, so my new vision at the wheel. Yeah. So my new vision for, for Precision Homecrafters is I want to be the largest remodeler in Alabama and the preferred workplace in Birmingham. And I want to grow significantly. I'm, I, w- I want to double in the next year or two and then double again. And I want to shoot for a kind of a long-term goal of being doing eight to 10 million a year. I said a second ago that between 14 months and two years ago, that's when that my perspective began to change. What happened 14 months ago was I, mess- I mentioned that previous business I was a part of where I had two business owners. Well, I left in 2013 and another one of the three founders left like beginning of 2015 he went and did his own thing and so he was doing design build residential and some commercial and we're over here doing design build residential i teamed back up with him about 14 months ago and convinced him to shut down the construction side of his business and just focus on architecture Hmm. that's what he's trained to do that's what he's amazing at and i said you come here with all your i'll take all your people and all of your work, and I'll do the construction, and you just focus on design and grow that aspect. And he had developed a building product and a process that is called Another Story. We were featured in uh, Pro Remodeler a couple months ago. Go look at that article. But we do second story additions where you do not have to move out of the house. So he has this building product that basically penetrates the roof and is weather sealed and supports an LVL structure that you can then frame the second story roof while the existing roof is there. And then once you get everything dried in, then you leave a a window opening or you leave a a piece of OSB off the side, demo the existing roof, throw it in the dumpster, and then seal it up. And then you've got a whole second story without having any of the weather risks. And then believe it or not, the, the city that gets the most rain by volume in the United States is not Seattle. It's Atlanta, Georgia, and that's only two hours east of Birmingham. So we get a lot of rain. Wild. And we've done second story additions where you take the roof off and you try to fight the weather, and it's a disaster. And so by doing second stories this way, you mentioned that you have family that lives in Homewood. That's the town where this really makes sense to do. So we've done a couple of those, and Ben Ben is designing five or six more right now. And our plan is actually to take that another story concept and productize it and and take it across the country. But that I anticipate being a major means by which precision homecrafter grows regarding gross revenue. So my average job size before doing the second stories with Ben was $67,000. And now my average job size is like 155. And that's because a lot of these, I mean, these, these projects start at like 285,000. Yeah, so we're, we're finishing up right now. That's five hundred thousand. I did my little golden triangle analysis, and we do not make money on small remodel jobs, but we actually do well on large remodel jobs. So I think that may be something that's we may we may be different than a lot of small remodelers in that regard. We lose our we lose our butts. <laughs> small, <laughs> we do we do well. 
we do out in the big ones. So that's cool. Yeah, I love the the vision expansion there. And so, yeah, I'm sure that's been exciting to think about. And yeah, over the next few years. Well, Joshua, wrap us up. What's like some final words of wisdom or a piece of advice that you'd want to share with other other remodelers that are listening to this? Every good thing that I've done in my career has has come from being open to advice and being willing to change and adapt. And then also, I would say, I mentioned I went to that pinnacle experience. I sat down with a model named Cindy Cipriani. She's has a very respectable career. She's done a lot. And she kind of gave me permission to take it easy on myself. Because I think it's really, really important for every individual to define what success means to them. And then not play the comparison game to what other people are doing. And so I've got four little boys, ages 10, 9, 7, and 6. And sometimes I look around at other builders or remodelers. I'm like, man, they're doing so much better than me. And Cindy was like, you're not unsuccessful. You just have your priorities straight. <laughs> she said, you're spending time with your, your, your sons while, they had, while you have this short window to, to have an impact on their lives. And she was like, don't uh, beat yourself up for not accomplishing more. She said, you're accomplishing really, really good things. So keep doing that. So I would just say, like, get plugged in the Home Builders Association, treat your people well, treat your clients well, but define what success is to you and then hold true to that. I have this new vision of growing the company, but I'm not going to do it to the detriment of my family. I'm still going to put my family first. And so, like, uh, this past weekend, there were some proposals I was behind on. I really need to price them out and get them out, but I spent all day Saturday and and half the day, Sunday after church, building a treehouse with my boys. That's what Love I Love it. Love so, it. I would just say, you, you got this little window with your kids. Make sure you make good use of that. It's great advice. Great advice. I totally agree with that. My boys are almost four and almost two, and I've been trying to do the same thing. So, um, yeah. Well, Joshua, this has been awesome. I really appreciate you spending the time and sharing your story with me today. Hey, thanks for the opportunity, man. Thanks for tuning in to Remodeler Stories. Don't forget to subscribe to the show and leave us a review. Every month we pick a winner and send out a free copy of my book, The Remodeler Marketing Blueprint. Just leave a review over on iTunes to enter to win. See you next time.